Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Hello and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. My name is Saumil Sheth and I am a Senior Investment Advisor and Team Head of Global NRI and Private Banking International Market Segments at Julius Baer in Singapore. Today, I'm here with Eve Klenk, who heads the Markets and Wealth Management Solutions team at Julius Baer in Hong Kong. He is also the head of the Investment Advisory team in Hong Kong. Hi, Eve. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Saumil. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So let me begin by saying that we had reasonably good performance for portfolios in 2023 and clients were able to recoup a significant portion of the portfolio drawdowns of 2022. I guess the key questions on clients' minds now are what's in store for markets and key asset classes in 2024 and how should they position their portfolios? We would like to discuss this over the next 10 to 15 minutes and hope to provide some answers to these questions. Starting off with what is our market outlook for 2024 and our views on asset classes. Let me recapitulate in brief. We believe that we are entering into a more normalized economic cycle, which should result in improved earnings growth benefiting equities. At the same time, we believe it's a good time to lock in reasonably high yields within fixed income without the need to compromise on the credit quality of the portfolio. Within the equity asset class, we favor US and emerging markets ex-China, mainly India and Brazil. Within fixed income, we like quality investment-grade bonds in developed markets and hard currency emerging market bonds. Lastly, within alternative investments, we like strategies that benefit from distressed credits. Eve, as you mainly cover Greater China clients, what are your key observations from recent client interactions? Well, lately, the main discussion point with our greater China clients is how to manage the China or Hong Kong home bias, and this for both equities and fixed income, particularly when those assets are suffering or even have been actually suffering for a while. It is difficult for the clients to part ways and cut losses. While this is psychologically totally understandable, it doesn't make sense generally from an asset allocation or from a diversification point of view. We usually combine then the discussion with alternative investment options to make the portfolio more globally diversified, and this by proposing to add some global equities and or global fixed income to balance this home bias. So we try to reduce the home bias with a lot of the greater China clients. I can see increased openness to do that recently, and That is precisely the reason why portfolios benefited in 2023 and likely will achieve hopefully similar outcomes in 2024. The second point which we often discuss is leverage. Given the higher interest rates, we tend to discuss more in-depth whether leveraged investments make financial sense in portfolios at this stage. There's still a lot of arguments in favor, but we tie leverage closer to specific investment cases and we definitely spend more time discussing those elements and the impact of leverage overall. Now, how about on your end, Samil? What are your observations within the segment you cover for NRI and Southeast Asian clients? Sure. 
Lately, a lot of our client discussions revolve around two topics. One, whether active managers retain the potential to outperform pure passive strategies in portfolios. And two, whether a 60-40 asset allocation strategy still holds merit. And the answer to both these topics is in the affirmative. Addressing the topic of active versus passive first, we believe certain active managers in regions like India or Japan have consistently delivered higher long-term returns than pure passive ETFs. Likewise, for certain investment styles like quality growth, our actively managed strategies have again outperformed similar strategy ETFs even in developed markets. Needless to say, it is imperative to compare the right benchmark while analyzing these specific investments. Moving on to the most discussed topic of the last couple of years, is 60-40 dead? For brevity, 60-40 is the classic asset allocation portfolio with 60% equities and 40% fixed income. We believe 60-40 still holds merit and will prove naysayers wrong again this year. There are increased expectations of fixed income asset class delivering better returns than over the past three years, given our view of topping out of US interest rates. And along with our view of a normalized growth scenario, we believe conditions are right for a more stable equity market performance as well. Eve, acknowledging some regional differences, what are the main portfolio actions that you suggest to clients at current juncture? Well, I would classify portfolios into three categories where we broadly discuss different topics. Category one would be the portfolios which need repairing. They still suffer quite a bit from 2022 and 2023, be it from leveraged or concentrated positions, or as I just mentioned before, having quite a bit of home bias. For those, we recommend recovery strategies, which often involve structured products, which can help exit some of the underwater positions. For those portfolios, the goal is to slowly but steadily get back on the solid track where we have hopefully can generate again positive performance. The second category of clients, they have a lot of cash. They fared quite well in 2023, but now that the central banks around the globe prepare to ease monetary policy again, they need to be careful to avoid the reinvestment risk. To those clients, I recommend reinvesting any maturing short-term investments like cash deposits, term deposits, etc., into high-quality bonds with longer duration. This is something I advocate with more urgency now, as the window of opportunity is closing slowly but steadily. We also review the overall asset allocation and see to have the cash allocated accordingly, for example, in case the portfolio would need to fill up more on the equity side, we're a bit less in a rush, given where equity markets stand now. We would then recommend rather staggering the investments a bit in the coming months. Then thirdly, we have some clients who have a fairly robust and diversified portfolio, hopefully based on our advice. They don't need a lot of adjustment at the moment. However, they cannot take advantage of, for example, temporary equity market dips, to strengthen their equity exposure with some quality names. Many of those clients invest along the core satellite concept, which consists of a core allocation of quality equity and fixed income exposure, and also some alternatives. 
enrich it then with some tactical or satellite exposure, like, for example, biotech funds or Japanese or Indian equities. The core exposure drives the majority of the long-term portfolio performance and provides stability, while on the other hand, the satellites add some spice to the portfolio with the prospect of generating above-average returns, but at a higher risk level. And I'm curious, you, Samuel, what's your experience with clients' discussions lately? Sure, Eve. Firstly, to your earlier point on China, the clients we manage are also equally disappointed with the performance of China and Hong Kong equities in their portfolios. Granted that losses on some of these positions are large, however, the key advice to clients is to look at this unemotionally and to analyze it on its own individual merit. India is doing exceptionally well now and a lot of our clients have been open to switching their positions with the expectation that this market has the potential to deliver better long-term performance at relatively lower risk. We rationalize with our clients that they might not be able to recover all the losses in the near term. However, there are better chances of recovery over the longer term and with greater visibility. Secondly, clients who have been holding a lot of cash in their portfolios are now actively seeking investment opportunities within fixed income in order to avoid reinvestment risk, given the market expectation of US Fed rate cuts in 2024. Income-oriented clients are also more willing to lock in yields for longer tenure now as they find current levels extremely attractive as compared to last few years. So Eve, moving back to you, when we construct portfolios together with clients, we see various preferences when it comes to implementation. What options do you see for clients? The beauty of advisory is really to look at portfolios through a cross-asset and cross-product lens and finding the best fit. For example, look at biotech. You can invest through single stocks or through a biotech fund. Then Japan, India. Again, one can get exposure through single stocks, funds, or also structured products. More defensive clients can, for example, get exposure with minimum redemption nodes, which provide a certain peace of mind, which is important to them, while still profiting from the upside. Or then investment-grade bonds. Also on the bond side, implementation varies. Clients choose amongst different options that can go from discretionary mandate solutions to investment funds to buying single securities, in that case, single bonds. And we could go on and on and different implementation options for different preferences or needs. Lately, dealing particularly with larger clients, we look also at how pension funds or endowments funds invest. And one thing which stands out is their higher allocation to alternatives, which can go at times up to a third or even half of the portfolio. There are reports analyzing how, for example, sovereign wealth funds or institutional investors, or large family offices invest. So I discuss those with my clients. Saumil, on your end, how do you position alternatives with your clients? Yes, Eve, you're absolutely right. We also see similar preferences with the large, single, and multifamily offices we deal with. Some of these offices have set up dedicated internal teams for analyzing alternative investment strategies. These clients are open to a larger allocation to this asset class, both within hedge funds and private equity. 
NRI clients have traditionally preferred greater liquidity within their investment portfolios and hence the lower allocation to alternative investments hitherto. However, I can see that slowly changing as a lot of younger beneficiaries who have inherited the investment mandate lately are looking much more favorably at this asset class, particularly private equity. Keeping in mind that client risk profiles and liquidity needs are different, the way we position hedge funds is mainly with a view to lower overall portfolio volatility given the low historical correlation of some of these strategies with equities. As for private equity, the main positioning argument is the expectation of generating above average returns higher than traditional public equities over a longer period of time, albeit with higher risk as well. Eve, coming back to the portfolio performance for 2023, what worked for your clients? I would say on my end, to be honest, four things. Firstly, cash was definitely king last year. Secondly, investment-grade bonds, which were a major call of us at Julius Baer to invest in 2023, performed well also, although only towards the end of the year. So I had many discussions during the year whether we should hold on to them. And it was really critical to be patient to see that call work out well. Thirdly, then equities in general, but I would say particularly tech, fueled by the artificial intelligence topic around summer last year. And then fourth and finally, alternative investments remain valuable diversifiers and stabilizers for portfolios. Anything from your end that you can highlight for your clients, Samil? Absolutely, Eve. It surely paid to remain invested in equities. Clients that maintain the optimal allocation to equities benefited from the strong market reversal. And of course, portfolios that were generally overweight on tech and thematic investments performed relatively better. India also delivered superior performance in a short span of time with our allocation into it late last year. And lastly, while investment-grade bonds, both short and long-term, did provide stability and cash flow, subordinated contingent convertible bonds delivered some much-needed capital appreciation as well. Something I wanted to ask you, Salmi, how do your clients handle the at times more challenging performance of thematic equities, for example, mobility or energy transition? That's a very valid question, Eve. We spend a lot of time to help clients understand the reasons for this challenging performance in the first place. In this respect, the impact of higher interest rates cannot be overstated. Without complicating it much, the main reason for such an excessive sell-off in thematic equities was the cost of capital having increased substantially in just over a year. Hence, when interest rates eventually move lower again, some of this effect should be neutralized. Another factor that was supporting stock prices in this segment was liquidity. For the same reasons why interest rates went up, liquidity in markets also suffered, forcing clients into quality and large-cap companies and out-of-thematic stocks. Hence, these stocks should be able to find their footing again once liquidity conditions become more conducive. It is important to note that each of these individual themes have their own distinct cycles. For example, AI and cybersecurity are currently in favor, whereas ESG and agribusiness have lost some ground lately. 
Hence, it might be more prudent to go through an active manager that can provide the right exposures and control risks in a more proactive manner. For portfolios where we switched out of individual themes into our preferred diversified actively managed fund, we have already seen benefits in terms of more stable performance at lower risk. Finally, it is more important to note that thematic stocks by nature entail higher risk than more mature large cap stocks and hence we suggest only a small allocation to the space within the overall equity allocation in portfolios. So Eve, we are coming to the end of the episode. Any final thoughts from your side? Well, me being Swiss, I would also like to bring Swiss equities in the mix. Not only did investors benefit from the strong and stable currency, but also in Switzerland, you find some very solid and stable companies. Have a look. They might have a, an image of being what we call in Switzerland a wallflower. That means being not super attractive. But make no mistake, they're quite beneficial element to mix into your portfolio allocation, along with an intended benefit of currency diversification as well. And then finally, the most important is create your very own investment mix. Look out for your relationship manager and investment advisor as a sparring partner. And then, of course, I wish everyone a great year of investing in 2024. Dear listeners, this is all we have time for today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. On behalf of all of us at Julius Bear, thank you for tuning in today and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Bayer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbayer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbayer.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.